0: Welcome to the Go Lead Everything podcast. Do you aspire to become the best leader you can be? Then come along with me and GLE. Faith, love, integrity, courage. Four key values of great leaders all around the world. I'm Phil Swanson. And I'm on a mission to bring you leaders from all walks of life and arm you with the tools and mindset to lead effectively in whatever you are called to do. Are you ready? Because it's time to go lead everything. What is up, Phil Swanson? Back again, another tremendous guest that is internationally recognized among the top 1% of performance consultants. This individual shows his clients how to inspire productivity and produce positive cultures. His clientele include Fortune 100 companies, professional athletes, entrepreneurs, academic institutions, and family-owned businesses. His easy action steps and solutions are steeped in performance science and designed to grow leaders, speakers, teams, and businesses. He has a distinct background, including the Fox News Channel, which is pretty cool, Dale Carnegie training, psychometric analysis, and positive psychology under the guidance of world-renowned professors at Harvard, University of Pennsylvania, as well as MIT's Sloan School of Management, where he learned negotiation science and the psychology of influencing. If you haven't heard Chris yourself, which I haven't, and I'm excited to talk to him today, or attended one of his sessions, chances are we've probably heard his speeches, as Chris helps celebrities, corporate execs, and even other presenters often Develop, design, and deliver messages that wow audiences, and I'm thrilled to have Chris Flickinger on the show with me today. Chris, welcome to GLE.
1: Phil, oh, wow, that's thank you very much, sir. You got a great voice. I mean, honestly, if, if this fails, you got to pick up radio. <laughs> got to know your strengths, right? You got to take account
0: of your abilities. That's right. I, I'm I'm digging the the radio voice. So, believe it or not, I was the volleyball announcer at my university. No, so oh, there you I've go. That's some
1: announcer voice yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that now was that really for the announcing or was that looking for a date?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it it could be either. It could have been either at the time for sure. Okay. Okay. But yeah. um right. man, Chris, it's great to finally chat with you, man. I uh I know you're up in the Pennsylvania area. Yeah. What's what's things like up there now in this COVID time?
1: Uh well, so so a few days here before uh New Year, and we had uh we' We're thawing out from a uh a white Christmas it's cold it's uh it, we've had uh two major snowstorms of the year. Meanwhile, everyone else like I'm talking to my clients down in Texas and they're like, oh yeah, we're going golfing you know <laughs> just rubbing it in right. um, no you know it's okay it's um we we have uh the the pleasure of uh Governor woof who I'm not a huge fan of unfortunately um he uh he he's like the Burgermeister Meister Burger. You know that one, you know that Christmas story? Yeah. You know, yeah. The, there's no Christmas this year. There's no <laughs> toys this year. There's no this. <laughs> so, yeah, right, right. So uh, but you no, know, you know, hey, we're 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 surviving as much as we can, trying to go through this and navigate the the change that we've got. But um it's uh it's certainly been an interesting year. We'll see. Yeah, uh,
0: definitely an interesting year. So, Chris, give us your story. Tell us how Chris Flickinger came to be you do have a very unique background a lot of wide variety experience so how you know how did you get to yeah. starting and, and consulting in, in the capacity you do today
1: so uh the truth is and this is this is the best news for for anybody and everybody out there the best news is that um i got here through a tremendous amount of failure and heartache and pain and if that's something that they're going through hey congratulations you're on the fast track to success i know it will probably feel slow and it sucks but hey this is the right train um so I, I graduate from Ohio University, the E.W. Scripps School of Journalism, top broadcast schools in the country, was the first student uh, out of that university to work for the Fox News Channel. It was in New York City, Washington, D.C., Got to work with Bill O'Reilly, Rita Cosby, Geraldo Rivera, Shepard Smith, Steve Ducey—just phenomenal folks. Got to learn a ton from them. Had all the gadgets and, and gizmos, and it was everything at your fingertips, right? But I wanted to be in my my specialty. There was I was a assistant um, uh, booking producer. My job was to get people onto the show, and then to help develop the content for that show and the angles that the 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 host would. Uh, ask questions on but i wanted to be on air well to do that they they don't let you just start at the top Mm -hmm. so off to the to the farm league i went upstate new york in a powerhouse local affiliate did it for about a year and then believe it or not believe it or not that's when uh the real journey started so like all through my career high school, college, early professional career, I was on this very steep uh, success trajectory. Like I was the lead in the school play, top of my class, all these. In- and then um, then I get to this this upstate New York affiliate and I'm doing really well. And then all of a sudden, I'm 24 years old. I start to get some bizarre... Um, physiological uh, uh, feelings like I'm gonna like I'm gonna pass out, like I'm floating in the air, like I can't like I literally my throat's closing up, I can't breathe, and all this stuff. So, so long and the short of it is, I start having panic attacks. Fast forward a little bit more. At age 24, I am diagnosed with panic anxiety disorder, agoraphobia, OCD and clinical depression, all four, all at once at 24. What was the second one? Uh, panic, anxiety, panic anxiety disorder, agoraphobia. What's agoraphobia? Agoraphobia, so basically I, uh, somehow, I pick a defined safe area, okay? An area that I feel comfortable with. It could be my physical home. It could be my hometown. It could be on this side of the bridge. And anywhere within that area, I feel okay. Take one step out. The further I get away from that comfort zone, the yeah. worse
0: I feel. Interesting.
1: So um, the, they tend to not let those types of people who have those conditions on the air. I don't know what's <laughs> wrong with them, but they tend to not <laughs> let those folks go on the air. I wonder uh, why. So, yeah, right. so I don't know. You know What am I supposed to do? Uh, I'm married at the time. Uh, my wife and I, we moved back home to Pittsburgh. And I start to see this guy who ends up being... Uh, he's one of the specialists in the country who deals with those issues. And At the end of the day, what it what it comes down to is that I'm a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. I put a lot of uh, pressure on myself. And in uh, fact, so much so that my mind starts to work against me as opposed to for me. The guy helps me an awful, an awful lot. He, uh, he gets me to a point where I can re-enter the world productively. I start with Dale Carnegie, some motivational company, and I just—I'm a salesperson for them. I'm out pushing their product, but all of a sudden, like, I my my career starts to skyrocket. I mean, like, I'm really good at it, and you know, how, how how did this happen? It was basically because the way in which he helped rewire my approach to the world, my thinking, my productivity, my um, the way I use and perform certain habits, I was able to not just go back into the world, but to excel through it. I really was. And I give him a tremendous amount of credit. He's a great friend of today. But I, I just, for a decade, this happened. And I became so so enamored with what happened and how it happened and how he did it for me. And mm-hmm. it was allowing me to go into, to just become more than what I thought was possible, even having high standards that I, uh, I said, well, hey, look, should I become a psychologist? And uh, he said, oh, Chris, no, 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 that's not for you. And I said, <laughs> I said what, what are you talking about? I said, I love this stuff. you know. I'm, I'm proof positive of it. Right. He goes, listen, he goes, I sit around all day and I talk to people with their problems. He goes, you're too positive. You need to be on the positive side right. of this. And he goes, that's something called positive psychology. So, um, and that's actually what he took me through and helped me to re-engineer my own thinking. So um, so I got to go learn from some folks at University of Pennsylvania, uh, a great person at uh, Harvard and MIT. And basically I learned the science of performance. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really, and what I do today is I show leaders or organizations how to get inside the minds of others. Now, I know that sounds scary. I know it sounds like it could be used for the dark side of the force. However, I tend to use this to inspire productivity and a positive culture. And that's what I'm trying to do. How can we get people to do it better, do it faster and to be more effective?
0: Very cool, Chris. Very crazy story too. It is. Let's let's go back because I want to know when I hear about you going through this experience at 24, you know, being a high performer, I kind of, I kind of resonate with it as an athlete who was a very high performer in like my high school days and then kind of struggled into my, you know, I kind of struggled with that identity as I went through my college years and started competing at higher levels. And, you know, I've gone through that and in other roles as well, where you've always performed at the top. And, and I think, I don't know if it's always being that high performer in school or maybe like other students have gone through this where they're, you know, they're always getting great grades or whatever. And then, then they get to something where they start experiencing failure in the real world. Or, yeah. you know, maybe like in your experience, you're, you're at Fox news or, and you know, you're, you're seeking after certain roles and and they're just not coming in the, in the time that you'd want, and you're encountering things. What was going on through your mind as you encounter having panic attacks like like being a high performer and now you're like you had to be like what's going on i have actually had a panic attack i think i think i've had one because i remember in my internship in uh my when i was in my college days i had a moment where i was talking to one of my supervisors Mm -hmm. and i literally had to like walk out on him i didn't even know how to approach it Mm -hmm. i didn't know what to do i thought I i was like standing in the room and i thought i was gonna die and these two guys are standing there and I like, I had to like leave the room and go get water. And, and you know, it was the weirdest thing, but it's the only time I've ever experienced that. And I can't imagine, you know, people that go through that all the time and are dealing with that every day. So like, what what was going on in your head as a high performer when that started happening to you?
1: You, you feel like a complete uh, failure. You hope that it's a fluke in the back of your mind. You're thinking that it's not a fluke though. And if this can happen this time, it can happen at any random time. You feel completely vulnerable, completely out of your element. And you start to feel like a fraud because all of a sudden it, it's a deck of cards and it's, it's extremely shaky ground. The, the challenge is what, what do you do with this, right? Initially, the first time it happens, it can be like, well, okay, I don't know what that was. right? But if it starts to continue, that's where you start to become, uh, well, it's, it, it tends to lead to the agoraphobia because now all of a sudden you're starting to isolate. Where did this happen? And you're trying to find some sort of rhyme or reason to it. Mm -hmm. And then you start to avoid certain situations that you think trigger it. Right, And that becomes a very limiting factor, especially in someone's success as it's about growth and expanding your opportunities, right? So um, it's one of these things where you have to not feed the fear. And that's really one of the factors that, that induces panic and a lot of anxiety is feeding the fear. And this has to deal with something um, on pressure. So pressure is a great tool. And this is something that we get into a lot with executives and leaders. Um, it's great to have pressure for yourself. It's great to put pressure on others. Okay, The same um, psychological centers in your mind that induce um, excitement and thrill and um, a little bit of exhilaration are the same psychological centers in your brain that produce uh, fright and panic and anxiety. It's just in how you interpret those events in your brain. Mm -hmm. So half of it is not feeding the fear that it, it's a fearful situation, right? So it's, you know, you, you're going up to give a speech and you had a little butterfly in your stomach and, and you can interpret that two ways. Oh my goodness, get me the heck out of here. Or, oh my goodness, this is pretty good. And if you can turn it to the positive side, it actually can keep you sharper. It can actually help um, you stay on your toes a little bit more. It keep you um, engaged, right? Uh, but sometimes you let it go too far. There's actually something called the... Um, uh lock dobson curve and it's it's an interesting in fact am, am i able to share a screen or does that not really work on this thing is it it's up to you, you. can
0: uh, i mean for the audio listeners it might be tough to, yeah. all <laughs> tough right. to well, so maybe describe
1: it for us and we all right let me do that let me do it. that and they can look it up so so the yurksey it's yurksey Dotson curve and the way it looks is imagine a, a slow uh roller coaster climbing okay and it gets to the top. All right. And there's the peak of the roller coaster. And at the roller coaster, what happens then is that there's a sharp drop-off, right? We all, we all have this, this picture in our mind, right? So there are three phases in that curve. The first phase is when that roller coaster is starting to take off. It's a little bit flat, and it's just starting to go up. And, and that stage is that, look, there, there's not enough stress. There's not enough pressure to invoke much of a response. And that's why when, when you and I have a paper that's due or you and I have a project or task that's due or a wife tells us to do something, we're like, eh, I'll get to it. I'll get to it, right? right? There's not enough pressure. Then there's that middle section, which is about, you know, halfway up the curve to just around the peak. And that is the curve, that section, that is the part that really, that's your peak performance area. There's pressure. You know your skills. It's time to move. It's time to get going. This is where I can excel and and, and, and succeed. The problem is on the backside. On the backside, right near the peak, if you induce too much pressure on somebody, their performance drops. The, perf- the pressure is overwhelming. It is now moved from exhilaration mm-hmm. to Intrepidation and absolute fear. So when you think of that roller coaster curve, it's if you don't have enough pressure on someone, they're not eh, they're not gonna get going. You gotta have some pressure on people. Right. But if you have too much, it can cause someone to shut down. And actually what ends up happening is they get tunnel vision, they don't think as clearly. It's cramming for a test the night before. There's so much pressure, I can't get it through my head. Mm-hmm. and and, and that's what happens so absolutely
0: i love the uh you talked about excitement thrill and exhilaration being the same physical response as fright panic and anxiety Mm -hmm. i love that when i think about athletes because you like you you talk to these professional athletes that perform at really high levels and they're getting ready for the super bowl right and most people if they're going out in front of millions of people they'd they'd be nervous right and you talk to these pro athletes and what do they always say and I, and I love talking about if you're a fan of Tim Tebow, I don't know. I don't know if you yeah. know Tim yeah. Tebow, but yeah. Yeah. His, his classic Jets video, when he became a jet, how he said like, I'm just excited. I'm excited. I said <laughs> it like a hundred times. Right. But they always would say, man, I am excited. I can't wait to get out there yeah. and play that game. And and it's just so interesting how, you know, you got people that fear public speaking and they're, and they're like, Oh man, you know, I don't, I don't want to go up and talk in front of all these people. And then there's other people that, take that and use it as fuel and say, man, I can't wait to get on stage and go share what I've got to share with, with the world. And, and it's really like, like you said, it's that same physical response. It's just how you choose to interpret it. It,
1: it is uh, it is an interpretation. And so a lot of uh, psychology, psychologists will deal with what they refer to as the inner dialogue or the narrative that you use to explain certain events. Um And, you know, that's not psychobabble stuff. That is, you have a constant narrative that is going through your mind every day. You know, think about the last time you were upset with your your girlfriend or your spouse or someone like that. And it was a fight that lasted a few days. Well, you know, you went to bed angry. You woke up and you were, you woke up and you were okay. And then you had to remind yourself, that's right, I'm still angry at that person, right? (laughs) Right. You, you, You play that narrative in your mind. Mm -hmm. Even when you're not talking and it sets the tone and the reactions and the mindset and the attitude and the behaviors that you then, 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 then demonstrate. So that inner dialogue is a critical element to your performance. Now there are people who have myself, present company included who have a propensity to exude too much pressure on themselves they are what they they like to call themselves high achievers Um, but their default is too much pressure and uh, they build up situations too much in their mind Mm -hmm. everything is a defining moment everything is a indictment on their skill or lack thereof and for those people, I spend a lot of my time helping them turn the volume down on the level of pressure that they're giving a particular event. So on that roller coaster,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they've gone over the cliff. And what I'm trying to do is stop it and back the roller coaster up. I don't want to turn the pressure off. I turn mm-hmm. the pressure off, then I'm back on, the, on, the, on the, you know, the level part of the curve. They're not going to perform. I just I want to use pressure. I just can't let it seep over too far that it starts to shut them down.
0: That's a, a really interesting idea of, of kind of turning it down. How do you go about like that, that inner dialogue? Because I think we've all experienced this and can relate to, you know, our mind just starting to race. And, it, and I, I resonate when you talk about the panic attack deal. It's like you have the first one and then, then your mind starts going crazy like am i going to have another one when am i going to have another one why did that happen what do i need to avoid and keep that from happening And you, you start asking all these questions and i have another mentor who who talks about when our mindset starts spiraling down we just need to ask better questions and so how do you like how do you approach helping someone if if they're experiencing this like what do you see this in like you talk about peak performers is this something you see very consistently when you're working with high executives
1: in, in, uh, so it it tends, it's not, it's not, it's not synonymous with every high performer. It is a tendency of theirs and perhaps it's not a tendency all the time, but it's a tendency that they can get too often. Right. Um, it's something that they can have bursts of that slip over into that realm. Versus other people who may have a lot of time, they like to go set up camp there and sit there for a while and panic. All right, that was me. So, what? Do you, how, do, how do you do that? Well, you know, the ask better questions things is is a great, it's a great uh, tactic. It's a great strategy. The challenge is that when you are in a panic, when things are spiraling, when you're cramming for a test, it's the, it's the mindset cramming for the test the night before. I don't have time to ask better questions and I can't think of other better questions to ask. I'm in a panic. I'm in, I'm in the moment. I'm, I'm in, uh-oh. I'm in the freak out moment. So what do you do? So you have to de-emphasize and again, this is for somebody who has gone over the edge. You de-emphasize the level of prominence and pressure that you're giving the event. So for example, I have uh, a number of professional uh, professionals who who do speeches in front of thousands of people. Right, they they speak all the time. I help them write their speeches. I uh, coach them on giving on giving talks that wow and win over audiences. But that doesn't mean that they don't also feel these types of sensations. In fact, you would be surprised how many celebrities, entertainers deal with these issues that we're talking about here right now, Phil. Panic, anxiety, agoraphobia. So what do you do? So you ask questions like this to yourself, right? I'm not asking better questions esoterically. I'm asking myself better questions, all right? Again, downplaying, turning the volume down on the pressure. So it goes like this. I have an executive who's gonna go up and talk and they, oh, I'm just so nervous, Chris. I I don't know, what if if this, what if this? Phil, listen, buddy, I hate to break the news to you. I know you're building this speech up in your mind. I know that this is, we've spent hours working on this speech. I know we've written great content and tomorrow's the big day, but I got news for you, Phil. Tomorrow morning when you wake up and you have to go give this speech, unfortunately, no one else in the entire audience who will be in attendance no one else wakes up tomorrow and says, son of a God, I'm going to make my whole day about Phil's speech. Oh, my goodness. that's My day is a make <laughs> or break based on Phil's speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I know you are, but they're not. Yeah. I, I've attended all these speeches, and in no time do I make it about my entire day. Right. So what are you freaking out for? No, no one's day is making or breaking it on your speech. I'm sorry.
0: Nobody's thinking about you.
1: That's it. They're not. So, so that, I, I just took the level of importance and I'm, i knocked down a peg. Okay. Another right. one. I don't care, Phil. Phil, I, look, Phil, don't get me wrong, buddy. You're a nice guy. You got a great voice. Okay. You got a great head of hair. I'm a little envious. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank all right. But the news, I'm sorry to tell you, Phil, it's not about you. No one's coming to see you, Phil. Okay. Put a monkey up there who can demonstrate that information, deliver it. And those people will still, it's about the content. They want what you got so they can go use it. As pretty as you are, they don't care. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to keep knocking you down a couple pegs Mm -hmm. so that at the end, you recognize that, oh, yeah, this is just the next thing that I have to do today. And it's really just about the content and the information. At the end of the day, these people just want something that they can go and use. It doesn't matter if I deliver it or if I be nice about it or if they, all that stuff. We've all sat in speeches that were not home runs. They were a triple. They were a double. Heck, they might have even been a single. Right. But you still got something out of it. Yeah. The, the
0: message is more important than how you feel about giving it. That's it. I love that, man. Absolutely love that. So, what, uh, we talked about asking better questions and, and totally agree. When you're in those moments, it's, super difficult yeah i mean you're not in the right mindset to ask the right questions. so how do you seek out resources individuals mentors to help you with asking those questions i mean you you obviously did with your mentor who kind of steered your mindset helped you get on this positive um, coaching track and kind of changed your trajectory was that something you can't like was it hard for you to seek out that mentorship or, or that help at the well, time I mean or- I was in a
1: crisis I was I was going from mere sur- mere survival right it was yeah, it was yeah. I, I can't function through the world um what, what here, here's here's what it is look there there are there are three ways to learn okay that's it there are three ways or only three ways unfortunately one way is extremely ineffective one way the second way is very expensive and there's really only one truly effective practical way to learn now we use all three but like i said there's some real downfalls and detriments to the other two okay so the first way that people learn is through through information through knowledge right you pick up a book you read a, you listen to this podcast whatever it may be it's fine we use this stuff so i have I have, a, I have a bookcase of all this stuff all right right right, right. the problem is, is i don't recall much from high school i don't recall much from college i read books last year i don't recall everything heck even half of those things
0: mm-hmm.
1: okay so so the it's not extremely effective in terms of retention and application of just reading and gathering knowledge okay so knowledge gathering good but not that effective okay the other way that we learn okay let's let's say that there's an event happening right right here right on a, on a timeline there's an event event horizon before the event happens we can gather gather some knowledge we're always kind of reading and learning okay that's great but well, then there's this after event time to learn and that's the time to reflect that's the time to dissect and decipher and analyze the problem with that type of learning post event is that it's extremely expensive number 1 let's let's hope and pray that the person is self aware and reflective enough to take the time to want to look back and learn right and secondly, my goodness, let's hope that that event that we just went through wasn't a, a defining event, one of those few defining events that you just blew.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I hate to talk in terms of high pressure, but there are some times that you needed to be prepared and you just weren't prepared, okay? You better believe so it. So doing it after the fact is, is we, we do it. We want to use it, but, man, that's an expensive way to learn. So what's the most effective way to learn? The most effective way? is right before the event horizon right before the defining moment in which you are preparing and practicing you've moved from just information gathering to action to habit forming to trying to build a skill in preparation for that event see i I can read a lot of books over the holidays you know you don't read a lot you don't if you don't do anything with it if you don't develop the skill if you don't make it a habit and it was nice. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but but are you going to be able to use that, especially use it in a focused, defined moment? So how do you go about asking yourself better questions? You need to constantly be on the lookout for folks who can help influence you, who have something that can help broaden your horizon, deeper your understanding, and make it make yourself more accountable to using these things as opposed to just simply playing with these things. Mm -hmm. You know, I, you, you mentioned that you have a faith background. I have a master's in biblical studies. I'm a preacher too. Oh, wow. Imagine that. Uh, I don't bring that up unless the the client wants to go down that path. I always find it very interesting that when I was learning all the stuff on positive psychology, that, the professor would be like, we ran this study recently. And, and we found that if you do this, this, and this, you're, you, you do, you end up like this and it's really successful. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, hmm, I'm pretty sure it's in the Bible that was written 2000, 3000 years before. But don't dare bring that up. Don't dare raise my hand because then I'm discredited in the class. Right. right There's right, an right. element that if you are a believer, if you believe that there is a God that you believe in the Bible, that you're discredited, that's fine. You know what? That's, that's their issue. They have to deal with that. But anyhow, the there are a lot of people who attend church. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who attend their job. There's a lot of people who read a book. A lot of people who read the Bible. There's a difference between knowing the Bible and knowing God. Don't get those confused. There's a difference between knowing information in a book and knowing what the book said. So, you know, how I do love you, that. How do you go about finding better mentors be constantly looking
0: be constantly I absolutely using it I, The difference between knowing and I call it believing because you' if you really believe it, you do it you could know a lot of things but until you really believe them, your actions won't follow and that, and I think you know that, that when you talk about that difference between, knowing and really, really having a relationship with God, you know, the, the relationship with God is we, we believe him, we trust him. And then, and then we go do as, as he wants us to do. So I, I absolutely love that. I think that's fantastic. And as, as you're building these habits and preparing and practicing, that's something you see a lot with you know professional athletes or people that for instance, come into a lot of money. Right. They'll they'll come into a lot of money and then they don't they don't even know what to do with it. They end up blowing it. You know, lottery winners. They get all this money and then they're broke. Well, why? Be, well, because they haven't built up the habits. They haven't built up the mindset to know even what to do with those things. And, it's, you know, I think it's the same way with anybody who's trying to perform at the highest level. You have to be performing at that level. You have to see yourself today as little old Phil or, or little old Chris and and be performing at that level before you're ever
1: going to get there. Look, leaders are, are. Uh, <laughs> I, it's interesting. All the clients and companies and executives that, that I'll work with, uh, we look for people to develop. We look for people to invest in the, who's going to be the manager. And sometimes, look, sometimes you you have to pick the person because they're the one that's there. Right. But the goal is to develop talent, not just have to go to talent. All right, so I'm not looking for someone who I just pluck out of a out of a field and say, "All right, I'm going to give you the skills of the leader." I'm looking for people who are already demonstrating it. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for people who already get it. And you know, and and, I'll, and I don't mean to make this go over into the spiritual realm. If you don't want to, we can we can back off of it. No, oh, this is great. You know, Let's keep this going. Is, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. God's saying, listen, I'm not looking for everybody. I'm looking for people who demonstrate these attitudes. Mm-hmm. And if you have these attitudes, and notice that it starts with being poor in spirit, it's a humbling, it's recognizing yourself in relation to something else. Mm-hmm. You can build upon that and you demonstrate that attitude. Now we can talk about some meatier, more weightier things. You have the right foundation to build upon. And that's how we, that's how we look for leaders. Right. I'm looking for people who already demonstrate it, already doing it they don't just know it right yeah the the
0: core values faith love integrity and courage the faith is in something outside of like you have to have an i I believe you have to have an absolute truth outside of yourself otherwise everybody's opinion is just everybody's opinion and you're just as right as so and so if there's not something outside of you governing your integrity governing your values then your values are going to be whatever's in your heart and, and you as you and i know you know we're all sinful and our
1: hearts are full of all sorts of terrible things okay. right so that's, that's, you, you, you nail it, man. There um, <clears throat> I know it's not uh, politically correct. I know that it's not savvy. I know that it's not sexy today to talk about right and wrong, and that there is a truth that things, things of those natures, but unfortunately just because we don't accept it or, or we want to deny it doesn't mean that it, that it doesn't exist. Right. And that it does exist. Um, w- one of the things that I like is, um, so I had you to pick a couple areas of, especially your focus uh, in my, my uh, biblical training. And so I went down the uh, pain and suffering route hmm. and I went down uh, because, because of my background. What, when did you start your journey
0: before you get into this? Oh my goodness. So um,
1: was it, it was after your experience, huh? So I grew up in the church. I attended church because my parents attended church. Mm-hmm. I went off to college. Yeah. I knew right and wrong. I knew God. I, I knew of God. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And I figured I was a good person. I was very successful. I figured God was looking over me. And then this happened. This, this fall breakdown. And then all of a sudden I start to question, wait a minute. You, you, if I look back over my life, it seems like you've kind of been guiding me this way. All of a sudden for this to happen? What the heck? So I'm analytical. I'm, um, I'm a pretty critical thinking type person. So I said, fine, you know what? I'm going to give him a shot. I'm going to use all the skills that I've learned about tearing things apart. And I'm going to dive in to see if if there's really some legitimacy to this God and Bible thing. And the more I dove into it, the more I went, oh my goodness. And you start to find just some very unique things you know I, I don't believe out of blind faith I believe because God says that the Bereans search the scriptures. Uh, he says in first Thessalonians uh, you know chapter five test all things, prove all things. So I said, fine, I'm going to put you to the test and then you start to look and you go, oh my goodness And so then that's when I started my um, uh, degree for uh, advanced degree in, in Bible and so it took wow. me seven years to do it. Not because I'm dumb, but because yeah. I had three kids, a job, and a way. It's <laughs> impressive, man. It's so, amazing. But, um, but no, I, I, I specialized in um, pain and suffering and apologetics. And I always liked when people, you know, the, the, typical, the typical, typical response to the Bible is that truth doesn't exist. There's no such thing <laughs> as truth. I said, oh, are you saying that as a truth? Right. Explain apologetics
0: for the listeners who may not be familiar with that term.
1: Apologetics. So the the term apology, you know, we think of apologies. Oh, I'm so sorry. Apologetics is a Greek term in in which it means to provide a defense of it's like a lawyer term. It's can you provide a sound argument in defense of your position? Can you prove your position? Mm -hmm. And so there is, do you believe in God? Can you provide a defense for that? Do you believe in X, Y, Z? Can you provide a defense for that? Those types of things.
0: Amazing. Very cool, man. That's a, that's a really cool story. I'm, I'm excited about I, that. I, listen, I
1: started this podcast by saying pain, failure, and <laughs> it's, it's how amazing, I learned this man. stuff.
0: <laughs> it's just so cool how you see God work in people's lives and take yeah. them, you know, I, I find every hard decision or every very tough, emotional mental moment I've had right, like right at the brink of, of where I think like I'm going to lose it. Everything becomes kind of like, it's, it's like that one point where I finally let go and just say, okay, it's out of my hands. You know, that's, that's when I see so clearly how my life's been steered exactly where I needed to be. And it's way better than I would have ever imagined or even planned for myself for it to be. It's just it's it's a wild. I don't know if you've experienced anything like that, but it's, it's kind of this wild thing. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. You know it, it, what I think it comes down to is I heard it described as eleven fifty nine fifty nine. Eleven fifty nine fifty nine. The very last second, something happened, and God comes in, and you think, well, oh my goodness, why did He wait so long? I think He waited so long just to prove to you that it isn't you that did it right. You still needed him.
0: Yeah. He won't push you beyond what your faith can handle. He pushed you That's right it. up to that point,
1: That's it. but
0: not, but never beyond that. It's yeah. very, very cool. So when you're trying to build a culture in an organization, you know, we, we have these foundations that, that leaders have and, you know, organizations are so dynamic. There's so many different personalities and people. I know you talk about the cultures being more of like a family, than like a high school where you've got, you know, spats going on and drama and all these things. And, and instead of, you know, families that also fight. Right. But they love each other at the end of the day and come together and, and they want the best for each other. So how do you build a culture like that Sure. as a leader in a, in an organization?
1: Sure. So the, there are uh, five fundamental pillars that, that go to, developing a culture, whether it's a, a family culture at home, whether it's a business organization, church, doesn't matter. Um, the science of culture is pretty uh, ubiquitous. So here's, uh, here, here, are the, here are three fundamentals of, the, of that to, to build on. The first are connections. The second is vulnerability. And the third is purpose. So let's just start with those. Um, connections. It is extremely hard to have a culture with people whom you're you're not connected to. In other words, uh, connected does not mean that we just happen to wear the same logo branded shirt. That's not connection. Connection is that you're with them. You see them, you talk to them. Um, You know, this whole stuff with with the quarantine, listen, if you don't have your video on during these talks, the conference calls, you're limiting the connection. You really are. And I know that it's, well, video call, phone call, text message. all this. Listen, I don't know too many arguments that have ever been solved through text message or email. <laughs> if not anything, they'll get worse. That's, it's face. I got to see the face. I got to right. see the, um, uh, the tonality. I got to see everything, right? Um, so connect, you know, connection is a good place to start. The second is vulnerability. And that goes two, twofold. Number one, can you, can you be vulnerable? Can you put your ego aside and show people that there are cracks in your own facade? That's number one. Number two is, can you invoke others to be vulnerable as well? There is a, a rather prominent organization that I've worked with in the past who the leader of the organization was not very good at being vulnerable. And because of that, because the, the, the leader did not show any cracks in the facade, it was per, demanded perfection, demanded high quality, demanded success. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sorry, but number one, I can't relate to that because that, I know that's not me. Mm-hmm. So now I can't really connect with this leader. Right. And secondly, as the stuff... The day-in, day-out stuff happens. The mistakes happen. Do you think that I'm going to take those mistakes to the leader who won't show any cracks in the facade? Heck no. So now the dynamic is a leader who won't show any cracks in the facade, who has to make real-time decisions but doesn't have real information because no one will bring it to them. Bad combo. So can you be vulnerable and can you get others to become vulnerable with you? And then the last one is, is purpose. And, and that just, you know, everything is start with, start with why, you know, Simon Sinek, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But if, um, at the end of the day, if people cannot connect their actions, their work, their output to something greater than themselves, a meaning, then there's gonna be some problems. You know, what's interesting is that nonprofit organizations Look, we all get those darn phone calls, right? Hey, do you want to buy this? Hey, do you want to do this? Okay. They're they're incessant. They are nonstop. They are persistent. Do you know that most of those folks don't get paid? They're volunteers. What cause wouldn't you love to have somebody on your sales force who was as persistent as some of those volunteers at a nonprofit? What makes them so tenacious? They believe in the purpose of that organization. Mm-hmm. They get it. Where does
0: having employees or or people in your organization, where does feeling valued as a as a person come in when when you're talking about purpose versus you know there's this purpose outside of me that we're serving, but then also feeling like you have a valuable contribution to that that ultimate purpose. How how do those tie together or, or do they?
1: Yeah, yeah, they do. They do there. There's a macro and a micro purpose or an internal and an external purpose. So the external purpose, we call it the ripple effect. So the external impact is what do our customers get? What does, what, how do we better the world? Okay. The output of our product does this for others. Okay. The internal impact is, and this is way, you know, sometimes people, uh, when they go to search for their why or to define their why or their, their own internal purpose, um, they struggle with that. So here's, here's a good way to ask the question. We talked about asking better questions earlier. If you don't do this task, if you don't show up, what happens? What falls apart? Who's cut out? Who's left there standing by themselves if you don't do this or don't show up? When you talk about an intern coming into an organization who feels as if they don't have no real significant contribution or value to the organization, and you give them a task to do, don't hand them a task. Give them a task and say, here is the importance of this task. You gotta find some way to make that task the crux of the organization, that if they don't do this task and do it well, here is the ripple effect upstream and downstream that happens as a consequence now all of a sudden you have significance with the task and you do that by saying if you don't do it here's the ripple effect and all of a sudden now the person goes oh i see where this fits you may not be the cfo but son of a gun goodness the cfo doesn't matter if i don't do this okay
0: one of the other things we talk a lot about as uh as leaders is is sort of, uh, you know, the style of leading from the front. I don't know if you've ever heard that, that terminology. Um, how do you balance? I had a, there's like this interesting quote. Um, I can't remember who the guy is, some, uh, Asian or Chinese philosopher person, but he talks about, you know, when, when the work is done, the best leaders like don't even exist. Like you, you wouldn't even see what they did. Like the people did everything. Right. And like, and I, it's kind of just interesting quote that, you know, it's always I don't know if it's worded right, but I've always questioned it. I posted it the other day, but how do you balance leading from the front and being visible and being seen, and yeah. really giving your people the credit that is due as yeah. as a leader? Since they're yeah. you know they're really the working all the magic.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's a, that's a good point. Uh, so so this is kind of a, maybe this is a good place to kind of to, to to wrap our heads around for the for the for the finale here. There are. Um, If you take away nothing from this this conversation, uh, I I would encourage you to take away these two points. There is only one thing that a leader must have. It's the only must-have of leadership. Now I know that you go to Barnes and Noble, you go into Amazon, and there's a tons of books, there's you know thousands and thousands of books on leadership. Forget them. There's only one thing a leader must have. And if they don't have this one thing, I will guarantee you feel, I, I guarantee it that they are not a leader. The one must have of leaders is followers. You don't have a follower, you're not leading anybody. Mm-hmm. Now, how you have to gain followers is where all the books from Barnes and Noble come in. People skills, risk-taking, confidence, uh, p- uh, comm- good communication. Right. But at the end of the day, you got to have followers. Now, There is a huge difference between having followers and having prisoners. And this is where academics and subject matter experts miss the boat. They have people who come to them all day long, but that's because they have to, Mm -hmm. not because they want to. If you are a really smart, bright person be very careful, constantly be asking yourself, do I have followers or do I have prisoners? The leader's job the one must have of leadership is to have followers. Now it's the one must have, the one must do of, fo- of, of leadership is to develop other leaders. Because at the end of the day, you are not going to live forever and you are not big enough and you are not wise enough to be everywhere, all places, in all things. You can't do this thing, if you're a good leader, will outlast you. Mm-hmm. So, so if you're not going to be around, who's going to be leading it then? So the one must have of leadership is to develop followers, and the one must do is to develop other leaders. I, you know, I, I, I learned a lot from failure, and I try to teach and, and, and help and coach people from failure. Look, I'm a pretty good speaker I'm a pretty good preacher and I had people for a decade come to the congregation that I was at and, and and they loved it and and they were oh Chris you're there girl. oh that's that sermon really spoke to me okay and then after a few years a gentleman who was a missionary came to the congregation his family had moved there and he sat and he listened for a while and he came up to me after a, a few uh, months and he said you know you are really good you really know your stuff and I said yeah well you know and I played off humble well you know God's giving me some talents And he goes, he says to me kind of poignantly, he goes, how come you're the only one that preaches though? And it's like a ton of bricks just hit me in the face because I had developed a lot of followers on behalf of Christ. Okay. But I had not developed any other leaders in the congregation. And so I missed it. I missed it. And it's easy to do.
0: Yeah. Chris, man. I love that. I love this conversation. I could sit here and talk to you all day. I know you probably got to run. If people want to find Chris Flickinger and learn more about what you're doing, where can they find you?
1: So look, social media is great and everything, but the easiest way is the website, chrisflickinger.com. And uh, we have clients all over the country. I have a great team of industrial psychologists behind me that help support. We we do everything virtual now. We can do face-to-face, we even travel. Yes, we are some of those that are still traveling during the quarantine, but if, if there's something that we can do that will benefit you, that will help inspire productivity, and a positive culture where you're at. If there's something that we can do to help you get inside the minds of others, perhaps even your own mind, uh, I'd, be, I'd be happy to, to talk with you and see if there's something. That we can talk about. Love it, Chris.
0: Thanks for coming on the show, man. I know JL he's going to appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much, Phil. Really appreciate it. Great show. Thank you.
0: I take care. If you think someone would benefit from hearing this episode or any of this content, please share it and send them over to goleadeverything.com to learn more. It has been amazing to hear about all the individuals who listen to and are getting value from the content here at GLE. Thank you for your support. You are the reason we do what we do. See you next time and go lead.